And the coolest part is there's a lot of challenges coming, but nobody's saying this is impossible. Everybody's saying, how do we work together to figure out the solutions? And so um, I think really we're all better together and that's true for any thing in life, but it, it, it's absolutely true for this project. So it's exciting. This episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Title Influence, a Californian ecological consulting firm who proudly supports environmental education and all of the diverse conservation efforts that Pelicanus works to highlight. Visit their website at titleinfluence.com to learn more about what they do to conserve our coastal resources and how you can get involved. This podcast is sponsored by Project Dragonfly a master's degree program offered by Miami University dedicated to ecological and social change. Project Dragonfly offers a part-time master's of arts in biology degree focused on conservation or a master's of arts in teaching for teachers. The program is designed for working professionals and can be completed from anywhere in the United States. Learn more at projectdragonfly.miamioh.edu. On this episode of Conservation Conversations, we talk to Megan Smiley of the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach, California. Now, Megan works with sea otters and talks about the programs that the Aquarium of the Pacific and their partners are undertaking to recover the sea otters of the California coastline. Please enjoy our conversation with Megan and check out the YouTube version or our social media for videos and photos of our day at the aquarium with these adorable otters. So Megan, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do. All right. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. My name is Megan Smiley. I am the Sea Otter Program Manager here at the Aquarium of the Pacific. That means that I get to oversee all things that are related to sea otters. So that includes our exhibit animals. That includes our surrogacy program that is a partnership with Monterey Bay Aquarium. We are in the early stages of that, our partnership started right before this wonderful pandemic that hit in March of 2020. We signed our partnership in February of 2020. Uh, and so it's been a little bit of a long time coming and we can't wait for that program. So all of what I do is really to support that upcoming initiative and the animals that we currently have in our care. So I got to say, Sea Otter Program Manager is probably the coolest position title I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest. It's pretty sweet. I didn't start my career ever thinking that's where it would end up. And I have no complaints. And it's a relatively new position. I It was new to the aquarium and obviously new to myself, but it has been a fun-filled time lots of exciting things happening and I cannot wait to see what kind of trajectory we're going to head into. And that's why we're so excited about talking with everybody from AOP is it sounds like everything is really headed in this really, really interesting and fun direction in terms of conservation and obviously everything else that comes along with a, uh, an aquarium. But um, okay. So you kind of already mentioned a little bit, just kind of touched on all the, the facets of the sea otter program. Can you kind of go into detail about, you know, I guess, what is your day-to-day? -day? What do you do to actually manage sea otters? <laughs> yeah, what is, what is our day-to-day? -day? So a day in the life of anyone that cares for a sea otter is really a lot of food preparation, animal observation, and a lot of cleaning. Uh, the sea otters have this crazy high metabolism that helps keep them warm in their environment. And they are averaging between 20 and 30% of their body weight on 
caloric intake per day, which is an insane amount of food. And so uh, what goes in must come out and it involves lots of food preparation and lots of cleaning up after that. And so uh, that is the majority of our time along with intense behavioral observations, especially when we have some younger animals. We like to see what they're up to, make sure they're getting enough of the food that they're eating or being offered, and really just studying the behavior to make sure that they are doing all of the things that are going to make them successful creatures. I think Taylor also eats 20 to 30% of his body weight every day. Well, lucky for Taylor, he looks like he also has a high metabolism. (laughs) (laughs) He has to, or he gets cranky. Yeah, exactly. I I just get cranky and angry and I I don't behave well to behavioral training. Perfect. We just need snacks (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. With the huge amounts of food that they have to eat every day, what is it that they're foraging on? Great question. So sea otters can, they, they hunt up to 50 different species of invertebrates. So sea otters eat clams, crabs, urchins, snails, anything that is slow moving on the bottom, that's easy for them to dive down, quickly pick up off the ocean floor, bring back to the surface of the water and eat at the surface. And so they play this crucial role in their coastal environments. You know, people oftentimes only associate sea otters with kelp forests, but they also live in seagrass beds and different estuaries. And so uh, in all those places, their prey will vary slightly based off of the environment. And they actually learn which items are prey from their parents. The existing populations of southern sea otters and northern sea otters, or just sea otters in general, were very, very healthy until people started hunting them on a mass scale for the fur trade. Uh, and this happened in the 1970s, or sorry, the 1790s and beyond. Uh, and it was something that almost wiped out their entire population and really has what created some of these species. Geographic boundaries cut them off so much that the southern sea otter didn't have access to the northern otter anymore, and so there was no more genetic crossover, which is one of the threats to these guys. The northern species is not listed, the southern species is still listed, and one of the biggest threats is a lack of genetic diversity because their territory is so small. So you talked about the sea otter surrogacy program. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail about what that entails uh, and kind of what you have a a vision for the future with this program? Absolutely. So I want to kind of take it all the way back to what the history is. And it really starts and ends for now at Monterey Bay Aquarium. Monterey Bay Aquarium is the founder of the Sea Otter Surrogacy Program, and they began sea otter rehabilitation in 1984. And this was more of a traditional marine mammal rehabilitation style where they would hand rear animals that needed bottle feeding, help them groom when they're tiny little babies. And this is something that's crucial to their survival. They need to know how to groom in order to survive because that is their number one protection from the elements that they live in. And so uh, back in the day, they were hand rearing these animals. And what they were finding is that these animals were successful upon re-release, which is the ideal goal of our entire program is to put as many otters out in the ocean as possible. And so in 2001, they shifted to sea otter surrogacy. And what Monterey Bay Aquarium did was begin pairing adult females that lived at the aquarium with these 
rehabilitated pups. And this introduction usually happens around eight weeks when the pup is weaned off of any type of formula supplement and they're ready for solid foods or a diet comprised of 100% solid food. They pair these, these adult females with the pups and that mom becomes a surrogate mom to the pup and begins to teach it how to socialize, how to forage, and most importantly, how to groom itself. So surrogacy, the goal is raise releasable animals that will become little cohorts and re-release, hopefully into new reintroduction sites, not just the existing population ranges. And then the ones that are unfortunately deep non-releasable, um, they get to be the ambassadors for them. And then our goal is that any female that is deemed non-releasable in three or four years will become a surrogate there are facilities that are coming online after us that will be surrogate facilities as well. And so uh, creating this little community of surrogate females is really a priority also. Uh, it's an incredible thing to watch. It's so instinctual for the majority of these females. And what they were finding is that the success rate of those pups that were re-released back to the ocean that were surrogate reared were reproducing at normal rates. There was very little human habituation that had happened. And so those animals tended to, were more likely to stay in the ocean after being re-released than having to be brought back in because they were used to people. And so uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium has had this incredible success and it's just a testament to all of their hard work and research and the hours that they have put into this program. And they have released hundreds of animals back to the ocean and the surrogacy program really has helped make it incredibly successful. So uh, enter AOP, Aquarium of the Pacific. In 2020, we signed a partnership with Monterey Bay Aquarium where we will be essentially helping their program. So we've built some pools on site at the aquarium that are behind the scenes. Sea otter exhibit is really a place for our female sea otters to recoup and rest in between surrogate pups. Right. And temporary housing for animals that are clogging up other surrogacy pools. It is no longer we're going to have animals from cradle to grave and these are the only animals that we will ever have. This yeah. is how do we maximize efficiency of this program and treat all of the pinch points or try to treat all of the pinch points. There's never going to be a perfect solution, but try to treat all of these pinch points to make it as successful as possible. And so currently Monterey Bay Aquarium can send out successfully and raise successfully four, on average, four Southern Sea Otter pups through the surrogacy program. Once our permits are approved and we are up and running, we will be able to also do four a year and successfully raise these pups. And so effectively, this partnership is doubling the capacity of the Sea Otter Surrogacy Program. And we're so grateful that Monterey Bay Aquarium has involved us in the process. It's amazing. Where, I guess, uh, maybe a dumb question, but where are the Sea Otter pups coming from? What what is What's happened to them that they need to be have a surrogate? Such a good question, Austin. Uh, sea otter pups depend on their mom, their moms very heavily in the first six months of their life. This is a time where they will be uh, requiring the mom's help for food. Initially, that's nursing, and then it turns into learning how to 
to hunt. And then it's also learning how to groom and properly care for that fur that's so important to them. And so during those initial months, the majority of animals that you're seeing come in through the surrogacy program are stranded pups. And these pups could be separated for any number of reasons. Common ones are weather events, predation on the mom. Some of them are moms just not knowing how to take care of the pup. That's a little more rare, but that is an option. And because of that, people, general public will call and say, hey, I think there's an animal. They report it through various reporting sites and the stranding staff goes out and evaluates. They do attempt to find the mom when the pup is so-called stranded. Sometimes the mom is just out foraging and someone believes that this pup is stranded when they're actually not, they're fine. Uh, And they try to reunite the mom and pup. If that is unsuccessful after several attempts, then they need to bring that pup in for care and treatment. And so uh, that is the majority of those typical sea otter pup strandings. Monterey Bay can also, aquarium, can also respond to general injury calls. So if there was a shark bite injury or a boat collision injury, they or a fishing entanglement, fishing line entanglement in, injury, they have the ability to treat adult animals as well. And so uh, those are the most common that we've experienced thus far in the program. And all of them have their own unique challenges, and it's it's exciting to be able to see how successful they have been able to be up there. I want to talk about the biology of sea otters themselves, because because of something you said earlier, where you said that teaching the young pups that uh, how to groom correctly is the most important thing. So, with that in mind, can you just talk about sea otters and and you know why do they look like that and why do they have fur like that everything like that you know yeah so sea otters are the smallest of the marine mammals and they actually lack blubber so the majority of other marine mammals all have this super thick insulating layer of blubber that helps keep them warm in their sometimes chilly marine world uh, sea otters do not have any blubber at all they have some of the densest fur in the world and it's pretty incredible because their fur is actually so dense that their body is waterproofed with the exception of the pads of their paws and the nose on their face Uh, they are dependent on this fur for survival if their fur becomes compromised and it can happen very quickly, they will decline. And most oftentimes this leads to other health issues that will ultimately result in uh, death. And so their fur being maintained properly is essentially their lifeline. If their fur is not maintained properly, that animal is not going to survive. And uh, the reason behind that is because once they have their skin starts to touch that water, uh, they're they can't regulate their bodies anymore. And so it's crucial to their survival. Um, You know, we mentioned that they eat between 20 and 30% of their body weight. That is with that incredible fur layer being completely intact. And so uh, the amount of food that they would need to intake to make up for any compromised fur is almost unrealistic. It would be 
a waste wasted energy to hunt for that amount and then uh, they wouldn't recover enough calories from that and so their fur is the most important thing that the sea otter has and the mom teaches the pup how to care for it initially the mom is doing all of the grooming and then eventually the pup will start to mimic what she is doing and that is how they learn it's incredible and uh, some otters pick it up a little faster than others but ultimately they all learn it from their mom and it's it's one of the most important things the mom can teach the pup. One thing that I remember from when we visited and got to see them up close that still blows my mind was the is well, well like you said the marine mammals they're the smallest marine mammal but they have the ability to efficiently walk on land. Yes. You know you, you see like harbor seals they can kind of flop around sometimes sea lions can move but you know whales obviously can't do it other species can't do it but they I, what I remember is their front paws more look like a dog-ish and their mm-hmm. back paws more look like, I don't know, something that was... A, so it's like their back paws are mainly for swimming and their front paws are mainly for walking. And that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely an interesting shaped creature and you nailed it. Their front limbs are very terrestrial and their hind limbs are very aquatic and they're both serving them in these really cool ways. So their front limbs are what they're going to be using to move around on land, but most of the time they're in the water and they're using those front paws really to grab things off the bottom of the ocean. They're actually incredibly strong. And even though their paws look very similar to like a cat paw, uh, they're quite dexterous. They have semi-retractable claws, so they have the ability to uh, retract those claws and expand them depending on what they're trying to pry off the ocean floor. And so they're very strong, very dexterous. And then those back flippers really propel them through the water and help with their locomotion. Uh, that Austin, as you saw in real life, they can also come up on all fours and they walk a little bit like a weasel. That is one of their closest relatives. And so they're, they're a fascinating creature. I just loved watching them pop out of the water and they they would instinctively only use either their front or back legs. And so yes. they would just like, you know, bring their arms and just slide around on their belly or just let their leg, legs drag out. I thought it was really funny. They're just like going in circles, playing with each other. I thought that was yeah. so funny. They're entertaining. Well, you mentioned in all these, you know, these really amazing attributes of these incredible animals. Um, and, and, you know, the, the term that we always use in conservation is the charismatic megafauna right and they are the most charismatic (laughs) i mean it's hard to it's harder to choose a more charismatic animal (laughs) um and to the point where i mean our our youngest brother harrison in his lab has a computer completely designated just for the monterey bay aquarium live feed of the of the otters at the at the (laughs) aquarium I love that. And yeah, and I mean, obviously that's silly, it's funny, and it's great. Um, but when he went to visit the Monterey Bay Aquarium the last time, he, you know, they were talking, it was like, it was almost like seeing celebrities uh, oh. because they see him every day in their lab. And then he's seen him in person going, oh my God, like, it's you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I know I have my own personal uh, interactions and relationships with them. Like I know where they are in Morro Bay. Like I know I, I, every time I go there, I try to go to my, my special spot where I can see them. And I guess all of that is to lead up to how, how does this incredibly charismatic species 
help or hinder you in your work or in the the sea otter conservation efforts at all? Yeah, so I think what's, I love that story because I think it captures kind of this, I don't know how to better say this other than like surface level connection with the sea otters. They are incredibly charismatic. It is harder to find, it is hard to find a more engaging animal than a sea otter. They're busy, they're adorable, They're just goofy animals constantly doing things. But ultimately, they represent so much value to the coastal environments that they live in. And I think this is where we need to shift some of the narrative. The the cuteness of them is engaging, but they have the power to completely transform ecosystems. And, And I think that's where at the aquarium and honestly across all of the zoological facilities, I think we're starting to shift some of the messaging. And I think that we can't be doing it soon enough. Uh, The messaging behind how powerful they are, they are a keystone species in these coastal habitats and have the ability to keep all of these entire food webs in line. And really the amount of kelp found that's present with sea otters in the habitat versus no sea otters, is astounding. And and I think that what we're missing here in some of our messaging is why do we even care about the kelp forests and or these seagrass beds or any marine estuary that a sea otter would live in. And really, there's numerous reasons, but some of the most impactful reasons are the kelps and seagrass ability to sequester carbon, the biodiversity that these habitats can offer, and then It's been shown that the healthier these kelp forests are, the better coastal resiliency uh, these environments have. And so all of this is really ways for us to help moderate or combat climate change. And this can be done by simply having the presence of sea otters in these environments. And numerous studies have proven this over and over again. And so I think just getting that messaging out is, yes, they're amazing. They're super fun to watch they are some of the most important animals in their in their ecosystems and these are not small ecosystems they affect a significant portion of our ocean and a significant portion of our biodiversity and so getting that messaging out is what's important um, and we just get to use their cuteness along the way to help make that a really easy message to share <laughs> I think it was in Dr. Payne's first coming up with the idea of keystone species, using the sea otters as one of those species to really understand keystone species theories and how they have a disproportionate effect on the habitats and the ecosystems. And I'm going to probably butcher the ridiculous story, but I remember him writing something up about how when his grad student was looking out at the ocean and, you know, they all had this idea, it's like, oh my goodness, the sea otters, they're the keystone species, they're the thing. And then you know, they got the sea otters back to a good population. And then his, his student calls him up and says, I'm watching a, an orca eat, chase down sea otters. Yep. And it just helped understand this keystone species theory more and more and more and help it be so robust. So I think a lot of times people associate a keystone species with an animal that's super high on the food chain. And really, sea otters are towards the top, but they are absolutely not at the top. They definitely have predators that are 
actively hunting them. And I think that it only speaks to some of the protection measures that have been put in place for those predators. Um, you know, for example, right now we're seeing a huge spike in shark predation, uh, great white shark predation in the southern sea otter populations. But that only speaks to that rebounding population, um, which is great. And just another variable in some of this recovery plan that people need to work through. Um, because it's not like we can say don't protect the sharks anymore. They're, they're important also. And so this whole thing is all so intertwined and it's amazing. And again, those those grand plans are a little bit above my pay grade. <laughs> I'm just here to help take care of the otters, but I am so invested in this greater story and the effect that they can have. And it only builds the passion that we can have for this sea otter partnership, sea otter surrogacy partnership that we have with Monterey Bay. It's so exciting. How, uh, you know, like we said, your title is just as, as cool as it gets. <laughs> um, so how did you, uh, did you always want to be a sea otter program manager? What got you into it? Were you always just super into wild uh, sea life when you were a kid? You know, I was I was kind of like the quintessential kid in the 90s that would go to SeaWorld and fall in love with the marine mammals and be like, I'm going to do that for a living. And uh, that was kind of what my target was for a long time. And I actually achieved it. So I went to school in San Diego at San Diego State, got a job at SeaWorld, moved into the training department, did that for a couple of years, uh, worked with a variety of marine mammal species there. And really the part that I loved the most about that was connecting the public with some of the educational side of working with the animals and telling them a little bit about some of the policies that were created from the research that was done on some of those animals, which is amazing and has helped protect some of the natural populations today. Uh, and so that stuff is super cool. The thing that I never thought I would be doing was more of this shift from the training and guest interactions, which I love, to helping with these conservation projects. And I think I made this shift really when, I don't know, it was probably three or four years ago, no longer than that, four or five years ago, when I feel like the whole industry is is really starting to shift away from just showing off individual species and more towards conservation projects. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Zoos and aquariums have been doing conservation for decades. So this is not Susan Aquariums have not been doing it prior to that. It's just the messaging behind it is changing and talking about some of it is really important because a lot of people don't know what happens behind the scenes and it's our job to, to share that. And so I think, no, when I started my career in 2000, oh my gosh, 2007, uh, I never thought that I would be a sea otter program manager. They're actually not even my favorite marine mammal to work with. Uh, however, the power that they represent from what they can do for wild populations is my favorite. That is intoxicating. You, you cannot stay away from it. It's, it's unbelievable. And just being able to be a part of that whole mission and goal is this incredible honor that I did not ever think I would get. Um, and so starting as kind of a behavioral modification background. I have a psychology degree. Moving into more of a conservation side of things, it's been a shift and it's interesting, but I I love every step of the way. It's It's been incredible and we are on the precipice of, we, not 
Aquarium of the Pacific, the sea otter surrogacy program as a whole, and really the whole sea otter community are on this, the precipice of really being able to impact in a significant level wild populations. And that is the coolest thing in the world. I think the best I've heard it explained um, in terms of the shift of zoos and aquariums that you're talking about is a lot of zoos went from being a zoo that does conservation to now they're a conservation organization that also happens to have a zoo that funds yep. their conservation. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. And uh, I mean, I know that you guys are going to be talking to folks all over the Aquarium of the Pacific talking about conservation projects. And I think that after that, it's hard to say we're not a conservation organization. We absolutely are and have been for a while. I just think that we can be better at, at shouting that from the rooftop. <laughs> so we, we talked a bit about the sea otters and how they're, they declined and now they're, they're slowly, but surely they're on their way back up due to some of the programs that you've talked about. But at some point, someone had to have an idea or an optimistic viewpoint of saying, hey, let's flip this around. Let's turn this back to where, let's get these populations back to where they were. And that attitude, that idea can be really um, contagious. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're focused on here is to say, who are the people that are saying, yeah, things are bad, but here's what, we're, here's what we think that we're going to do about it. And so how does that mindset, that optimistic, you know, whatever you want to call it, sometimes we call it possibilistic. Um, it, how does that mindset kind of come into your day to day? Do you, do you have to think about it all the time? Because I know I'm sure like, you know, shoveling poop sometimes isn't always fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think in our day to day, at least on my, in my role, spending time with other facilities and spending time with people that are outside of the zoo and aquarium world. So we work closely with Fish and Wildlife Services because they are ultimately the ones that are managing the sea otter population that live in zoos and aquariums and wild populations. So they are ultimately who are reporting through and, and really being able to network and saying, how can we help is is more of what gets tied into my day to day. And, and you hear that kind of attitude amongst a lot of people in the sea otter community. And that is sea otter community is zoological and federal agencies. It's not just us saying, woohoo, here's this cool idea. Let's do it. I mean, it's, it's really this collaboration between all of these different entities and there's a really positive outlook on it right now. And in March, we got to spend a handful of days in Seattle at the Seattle Conservation Workshop. And it was this cool blend of all of the key players in this Seattle conservation. And it was, it was amazing, almost contagious is the perfect word. It was this contagious atmosphere of like, okay, we have this pretty grandiose challenge of trying to repopulate our, the existing habitat or the I should say, pre-existing habitats of these animals. Like, what are the challenges? How do we learn from other reintroductions from other species? How do we really collaborate to, to maximize this? And, and the coolest part is there's a lot of challenges coming, but nobody's saying this is impossible. Everybody's saying, how do we work together to figure out the solutions? And so um, I think really we're all better together, and that's true for any 
thing in life, but it, it, it's absolutely true for this project. So it's exciting. Yeah, that's a, that's a theme we, we often get where people are like, oh yeah, we have this really cool program. We love what we do for whatever species, but it's really that it's the fact that it's the federal, the state, the local government, nonprofits, uh, community organizations, local volunteers. It's, it's everyone that gets involved. And that's what is so cool is that, you know, these things matter to people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing to be able to work. Everybody has different backgrounds and different experiences, but everybody working towards the common goal is, is powerful. Yeah. Uh, how do your how do your boys uh, see what you oh do? How how are they are they seeing their their superhero mom uh, <laughs> saving the sea otters? No, um, they, I'm just curious. That is it's hilarious. Um, I think it's like with any kid and their parent. Like it doesn't matter what your parents doing. They're kind of like, all right, mom has to go to work, whatever. Um, but what's hilarious is when they come to the aquarium. It's always. I'm like, do you guys want to come see the otters? They're like, nah, we've seen them. I'm like, okay, all right. They're like, can we go to the sharks or can we go paint sharks in the the culmination gallery or go check out the babies or, uh, you know, like they're so desensitized to it. It's hilarious. And by no means do they think the otters are the coolest. Um, but I think when they get a little That's older, so it'll be different. My son actually had a field trip a couple weeks ago and we uh, – brought a couple of people behind the scenes and and it was so funny he's like yeah this is old news whatever <laughs> he's so jaded at six years old <laughs> that's so funny yeah i mean i also gotta imagine you come home from work and you gotta go oh can you believe that this sea otter dude you know just like every yeah. the rest of us we come home from work and we you know talk about our colleagues and projects yeah. and everything and I'm, I'm sure they're just <laughs> they're hearing you talk about the different sea otters <laughs> Yeah, then they're, they're like, whatever. Tell us about the frogs. I'm like, yeah, I know. But, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, oh, so so yeah. Uh, I love it. Megan, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your time. And thank you again for taking us back behind the scenes. It was oh, yeah. Anytime, guys. So, they're so cute. Anytime. Next time we get some babies, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> you can make a trip down. Yeah. Thank you again to Megan for talking all about the Aquarium of the Pacific's efforts to recover sea otters. Please either visit the Aquarium of the Pacific when you're in Los Angeles or consider donating to help them recover the local wildlife species and their habitats. Visit them at aquariumofpacific.org to see how you can help. And stay tuned for more episodes about the Aquarium of the Pacific's conservation projects. Hosts and producers are Austin and Taylor Parker. Producer is Madeline Walden. Music was provided by a picture book studios. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you want to help us out. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>